kids, I want to start with you. Pop quiz, actually. So I hope you're ready. Simple question, though. And you can answer out loud if you want. But what is the fifth commandment? What is the fifth commandment? Anybody know it? You do? What is it? Nice job. Honor your father and mother. That's a very important commandment, isn't it? Probably your parents' favorite commandment in a lot of ways. At least it seems like that for a period of time as they always want to bring it up. It's a very important commandment. And so here's my follow-up question. For kids and adults, you can join in here. You don't have to answer this out loud, but I want you to think of the answer. What does that look like to honor our mothers and fathers? How do we do that? What does it look like in the life of the church? I think most kids, and maybe even a lot of adults, would say, well, that comes down to whether we obey them or not. We honor our parents by listening to what they say and doing what they say, right? It's probably our first instinct, and you're absolutely right. That's very, very true. But that role of honoring our parents changes a bit as we get out from under their roof, as we grow up and they grow older. It turns into a more distinctive respect and reverence in a way, but it especially turns into financial care and concern, financially almost like an honorarium sense. And that's why Jesus actually presses on that in Matthew chapter 15. You might remember these words as he confronts the Pharisees. In Matthew 15, 3, he says, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, hopefully it sounds familiar, honor your father and mother. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. So Jesus tells him, look, you think you're being honorable by saying, sorry, mom, dad, I would have money for you, but I gave it to the church. That was a much more godly thing to do. I would honor you, but I just can't because I gave it to the church. Jesus says, no, you're breaking the fifth commandment by doing that. Now, here's the question I want us all to consider, what I want us to think about tonight. If this is true on a personal level, individual level, and really a physical level within our own families, is this also somewhat true on a corporate level within the church, within the household of God? I mean, think about it. Last week, Paul was very clear. If we are God's family, like he says in verses 1 and 2, do we need to honor our spiritual parents in the church as well? And if so, what does that look like? What does that look like at various stages and who gets that kind of honor? And that's really, in a way, what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about the care for widows. Really, if you want to think of it this way, essentially Paul is telling us how do we keep the fifth commandment in the household of God? How do we keep the fifth commandment in the household of God? Especially concerning our spiritual mothers in the faith. How do we honor them? Now, when we read this, I'm sure you probably noticed, Paul jumps around a lot. He weaves in and out of subjects. So really, to organize going through this passage together, I want to answer three questions that I believe Paul is answering with this text. So the first question is really simple. Why does God want us to do this? Why does God want the church to honor widows? Second, which widows should we honor? Paul is very concerned with that in this passage as well. And then third, how do we do it? How do we honor those widows in the church. So why does God want us to do this? Which ones receive the honor? And then how do we honor them in the church? So first question, why does God want us to do this? Why should we honor widows? And this is a very important question. 
especially if you've been staying with us this whole time and been walking through 1 Timothy with us, I hope you notice something kind of strange. Paul spends an unusual amount of time on widows, doesn't he? Think about it. In terms of the whole book, we have eight verses on prayer in chapter 2. Eight verses for elder qualifications, only six for deacon qualifications, and now 13 verses on widows. Now, I'm sure Paul was dealing with specific situations in Ephesus, but still, that's a lot, isn't it? Why is this such a priority for Paul and then for the Lord? Because the Lord is the one that inspired this. I think there's a number of answers to that. First, really, widows are among those that are just forgotten in our fallen world. And this can be bad today, but it was really bad in the ancient world. You may not know this, but they were so often neglected, marginalized, pushed to the edge of society, kind of this out-of-sight, out-of-mind mentality with widows. I don't know if you know this too, but it was not normal for a widow to actually inherit her husband's estate when he died. When her husband died, the estate would pass to the oldest son as his inheritance. And depending on the relationship she had with the son, or often what would happen if she was one of the only Christians in the family, this was a chance for the family to cut her out completely. And she would be left with nothing that she had in her former life before her husband died. And not only that, there's not jobs for widows. Even women in general, there were very few that they could do. So she not only was desolate, she was left without any means to provide for herself. So in the ancient world, widows often had no protection, no means of provision. And I'm sad to say, even though some things have changed, that a lot of this hasn't, right? Yeah, we live in a day and age where, praise the Lord, that widows do have a right to their husband's estate. I thank God for that. It's a great thing. We also live in a day with government programs that can help out in some of those places. But as somebody that's been involved with the foster care system for a long time, those government programs often don't help make some of the problems even worse. But I still think we neglect older people, not just older widows, but older people in general in our world. We want to do the same thing the ancient world did and push them out of the way. In our world, we might put them in a home and just try to forget about them, pay somebody else to honor them in some ways. And that's how when we think about them. We just kind of get them out of sight, out of mind. And not only that, I think there's another way to apply this. Single motherhood is rapidly on the rise in our world. People aren't getting married at all. And then the husband leaves and the mom is left caring for the kids because she's focused on them. And now she's in a similar situation than these old widows with no means of providing for herself. So widows have constantly been neglected, forgotten in our world. But that should never be the case in the church. It should never look like this in the household of God. Why is that? Well, because God never forgets the widow. God loves the widow. It's all over scripture. We see this in the passage that I prayed through earlier, Deuteronomy 10, Psalm 68, Proverbs 15. God is the defender and the protector. Usually it's often paired together with widows and orphans, right? Because they're both in that helpless situation. In Exodus 22, God hears the cry of the widow and the fatherless, and he comes to execute judgment on their behalf against their abusers. Now, it should be obviously clear, too, that Jesus, the God-man, also has the same concern. We see him concerned for widows as well, don't we? You may remember Mark 12, 
when nobody noticed, the poor widow put her last two coins into the offering. Do you remember what Jesus did? He recognized her. That was big already. And he commended her faith to his disciples, said that's how you should live. That's how you should trust the Lord. In Luke 7, he raised the son of the widow of Nain, showing compassion to her. And probably the greatest display of caring for a widow was the one that Jason brought up last week. When Jesus was on the cross in John 19 with his last few breaths, what's his concern? He tells his brother in the faith, John, care for my mother. She's a widow in need. She's a part of the household of God, and you need to care for her now as her spiritual son. Now, it's no surprise the church is focused on this throughout the ages. I mean, the very office of deacon was established because of the needs of the widow, right? In Acts chapter 6. And then James sums up the Christian faith in an incredible way in James chapter 1. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. Think about that statement, by the way. You want to know what the Christian faith is? You want to know what the religion that is pure and undefiled, what it boils down to? To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James says, you want to know what following Jesus looks like? It looks like living a holy life and helping the helpless. That's what James says. Now look, these are all wonderful reasons that we should not forget widows because God remembers them. But perhaps the biggest reason why the church needs to care for widows well and honor widows is because caring for the helpless, orphans, widows, is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the love that God has for us because widows and orphans aren't the only helpless people out there. Paul sums up our helpless state in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead. Dead. Not incapacitated. Not on life support. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It doesn't get much more hopeless than that. Praise the Lord, we have verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Don't you see, in our sinful, fallen state, we were far more helpless than any orphan or any widow. We were dead without hope and without God in this world. But God looked upon our helpless state and provided his son. Provided for those that were lost and helpless with his son, Jesus Christ, who lived in our place, obeying for us, died in our place, and rose from the dead, conquering sin and death so that his work is applied to us by the Holy Spirit through faith. And now the Holy Spirit dwells in us reforming us and shaping us, really sanctifying us, making us fit for our heavenly home as he leads us all the way home. So you see, every time we are helping a widow or helpless or orphan, every time we're doing these things, we're giving the world a picture of the gospel. 
doesn't mean that's all we do. Hopefully it's accompanied with works to help them understand that we're not just doing charity. But that's the point here. This is a picture of what God has done for us, a picture of his love for us. So that's why, why we should honor widows. So second question then, which widows should be honored? Now, it probably feels weird to ask that after what I just said, right? Didn't you say God loves the widow? Probably all of them, I'm guessing. So doesn't, should we honor all widows? Well, yes, in one sense. Yes, we love them. We pray for them. We respect them and, and we care for them in, in a general sense. But no, in the sense that not every widow needs financial support. And that's what Paul is getting after here. He's saying, look, there's different types of needs and widows that we need to care for as a church. We need to be specific and discerning in how we care. And so he's going to distinguish between what he calls true widows, or if you have the New American Standard, uh, widows indeed, I believe it says. So look at verse 3. That's what he says. Verse 3 says, honor widows who are truly widows. Honor widows who are truly widows. And then look all the way to verse 16. He summarizes why he's making this distinction. Right in the middle of verse 16, said, let the church not be burdened, that's financial burden there, so that in it may care for those who are truly in need. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's telling Timothy and the Ephesian church, you need to identify true widows. Not that they're fake widows, right? Not that like, oh, sorry, I know your husband's dead, but you're a fake, get out of here. It's not what he's doing. Say, no, there are certain widows that truly need the help of the church, financial help here. And that's what he's getting at and driving at in this passage. Now, I do want to say one more thing, one more little kind of caveat before we get into the specific qualifications here. Paul is not giving us law for every church in every age in every stage of the Christian faith. These are instructions specifically to Timothy and the church in Ephesus. Now, it doesn't mean they're irrelevant to us. They're very helpful guidelines and principles here. Now, why do we know it's that? It's not just something that's timeless. Well, because Paul doesn't ground it in anything timeless. He doesn't say it's timeless. He doesn't do, if you remember what he did in chapter 2 with women teachers. In 1 Timothy 2, he said, I do not permit a woman to teach. Why? You remember? For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Paul was grounded in creation saying, this is just the way it should be, but not here. Paul is showing us what is wise for Ephesus. And we can learn from these things to figure out what's wise for sovereign grace in our stage of life. Because these principles, I think, can apply to even more than just widows in our current context. So let's get back to the question then. Which widows should we honor? Now with a little bit more focus, financially. Which widows should we honor financially? That's what Paul's getting at here. Well, Paul gives a couple physical qualifications. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 here, he says, she who is truly a widow, there's that distinction then, right? These are the ones that we need to be honoring financially. She's left all alone. So there's the first qualification. She has no husband, obviously, widow, dead husband, but no family either. No means to care for herself. And it looks like that's probably not going to change anytime soon because look at verse 9. She's not just a young widow, she's an older widow. Verse 9 says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. So the point here is that she's past the childbearing years. She's unlikely to remarry, so she's unlikely to have a family to care for her in her need. 
So her destitute, helpless situation is not going to change unless somebody intervenes. Now, you can see how this principle could apply to all kinds of women. I think it does apply to the older widow with no family left. I think it also applies even some way to older divorced women. To some women, maybe I could see a situation where she was married for a long time and the husband took off and left her with a massive financial debt and for some reason she can't provide for herself. That would be a similar situation to this, that the church might need to step in. Or even thinking of a younger person, for whatever reason, who is physically or mentally unable to provide for themselves. Maybe that's a case where this can be applied as well. So I hope you can see the principle here. Paul is saying you need to zero in on those women that are physically helpless, physically unable to care for themselves and won't have any care for their family. Now, that doesn't narrow it down (laughs) that much, does it? We want to think about in terms of our world. So Paul narrows it down even further, and he has character qualifications, not just physical ones, but character ones. Look at verse 5 again. He says, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, and listen, has set her hope on God. She's professed faith in Christ. She's looking to him in faith and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. So it's not just an empty confession or profession of faith. It's it's walking in faithfulness. She's growing in grace. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So Paul's saying, look, this widow is not a a self-centered, worldly widow. She's not like Esau we've been seeing in the mornings, right? Who is ruled by his gut, his passions. It's not that kind of woman that's looking for a handout from the church. That is kind of the opportunist to say, well, I'll take what I can get from the church so I can go live a lavish and selfish life. Paul says that woman is not who you help. It's the woman that trusts the Lord. The woman that's marked by prayer and humility. And this is the type of woman that, if you have a prayer meeting, she will be there. If we have corporate worship, she's gathering with the saints for corporate worship because she knows she's physically needy, but she's also spiritually needy. That's the kind of woman Paul is pointing out. I think of so many wonderful examples of this. I think of Anna first in the Bible. Remember Anna in Luke 2? Luke chapter 2, when they go into the temple and they meet Anna. Anna was a widow most of her life, if you don't know the story. Married only seven years. She was 84 by the time that Jesus and his family really, well, Jesus was a baby, but his family stumbled upon her and and met her. Widowed a long time. And listen to what Luke says about her. It says in in Luke chapter 2, verse 37, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. That's what marked this widow. I also thought of my wonderful grandma, Jean. Some of you know her. It's been a wonderful blessing on my life. She is an incredible widow. She's been a widow most of her life. I can just picture her even now. She has a rocking chair that sits across from this giant bookcase, and it's not filled with books. She has other bookcases for that. But in this bookcase right across from her rocking chair is just pictures filled with all of her kids and all of her grandkids and now all of her great-grandkids. And most of her day is spent praying through those pictures, praying for her family. And she will do whatever it takes, whether she's feeling terrible or not, to be in corporate worship. That's the kind of widow Paul says, yes, that's the woman you want to support. And it's not just the one looking to the Lord and not looking inward, but it's also the one looking out 
for other people. Go back to verse 9 as well. Listen to more elaboration on these qualifications. Verse 9, right in the middle there. Having been the wife of one husband. Now, you remember what that means, don't you? It doesn't mean that she has one and not many husbands, you know, like polygamy in that sense. It means like we talked about with the elders and the deacons. We said that the elders have to be a one-woman man. Well, this is a one-man woman. Right? This is one that's been faithful to her husband. Verse 10, in having a reputation for good works, like what? She has brought up children. So not just a faithful wife, but a faithful mother has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the disciples. She's a faithful servant like Jesus. She has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. Now, did you notice that most of those good works had really one thing in common? Most of them were done in her home. This woman was faithful in her home. It's almost like Paul is saying, look, her family is all grown up. Her kids are out of the house. And this woman has opened the doors of her home to the church. And now she is caring for her spiritual family. That's the phase of life she's in. It doesn't mean, by the way, that she has this perfectly tidy and neat home. That's not what hospitality is. It means that her home is a refuge. The doors are open for hurting, struggling people. It's a place that the saints can gather outside of corporate worship to find encouragement and be strengthened. Now, we don't have a whole lot of widows in the church. I'm thankful we do have many faithful ones. But I'm so thankful that I read this description and I see most of you are so good in this already. You don't have to be a widow to open your home like this. Many of you are wonderful, gracious hosts to, to grace group and events, to missionaries. I mean, you would have the missionaries stay with you the rest of their lives, I think, when they come back into town. Many of you are opening your home to the hurting, taking in foster kids and caring for people that are struggling with sin or separation from family, or just opening your doors to unbelievers, bringing them into your home, bringing other Christians into their life, praying for them, hoping to preach the gospel to them. That's what this woman does. And that's what I see happening even in this church. So I hope you can see the picture Paul is painting here. This is a woman who is physically needy. And yes, spiritually needy, but in terms of trusting the Lord, spiritually strong. And so the church helps out caring for this mother, honoring their spiritual mother by providing for her, caring for her. And that leaves us then with our last question. We've seen why God wants us to care and which widows need to receive this honor but now how? How does this look? What does this look like in the church? Well, first of all, it starts in your own family, your own biological family. Paul says that in verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me again. Verse 4 says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. Now, that's a funny statement because it's almost like pay them back. It's not that you keep track, you know, they keep track and say, all right, you owe me this much money. No, it's this picture of remember how they cared for you? Now return the favor. Care for them now as they cared for you when you were younger, raising you up. For this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord, Paul says. Look, Paul says, obey the fifth commandment. That's all this really is. Obey the fifth commandment in your own household first before you start taking on the household of God. 
Respect and revere your own mother, your own grandmother. Remember how they loved you and cared for you and pray for them, encourage them, provide for them. And look, this will look so different in all of our situations. Some of this may apply to you by bringing your grandmother or mother into your home and caring for them. And some may actually put them in some kind of assisted living. That's not off limits there. As long as you don't tuck them in a corner, you actually are intentional about it. That's a good thing. There's no one way really to honor them financially. It takes a lot of wisdom calls. But minimally, it takes intention. It takes time. It takes effort. It's not just something we do when it's convenient or something we do because it would benefit us. Well, I'll take care of mom because I'm really going to get a big inheritance. We know how that can go. and That can get ugly really fast. And Paul makes sure to show us how if we do this poorly, it really has a big impact on how the world sees us. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, then listen, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's not even a Christian. It's like he's walked away from the Lord. Why in the world is Paul being that extreme? Well, it's pretty easy, actually, to answer that because wicked people can get this right. Some of the most wicked people that I've met still listen to their moms, still have great respect for their moms, and will even lie, cheat, and cheat to provide for their moms in some way. So if the world can get this right, why has this not happened in the church? We should be the ones leading the way in this, the example for this. Have you ever thought about how much this impacts our witness to the world? That's what Paul is getting at here. Our credibility, both individually as a church, depends at least somewhat on how we care for our moms and our grandmothers. I mean, think about it. If you're in a family with a lot of unbelievers, and they're always the ones stepping up to care for grandma and mom because you're too busy with church or you're not able to provide financially, what makes you think that they'll listen to you when you open your mouth and talk about how God loves you? This is what Paul is saying here. That looks worse than an unbeliever. And we, we are the ones that have been saved from our helpless condition. We have been shown so much grace and love. How would we not be the ones to lead the way in the way we love and care for our own family? And the second way we honor widows. Now, moving outside the biological or physical family, Paul is saying, look, we intentionally, as a church, serve and provide for the widows in the church, for the women that are helpless in the church. Look at verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. Now, enrolled there is really a simple idea. It's just like put them on a list. <laughs> That's what the New American Standard says. Keep track of them. Now, I don't necessarily think that you have to have a list. It's got to be posted somewhere, social media. Here's all our widows. You know, That's not necessarily what we need to do here. But this does so intentionality. It shows organization. It shows that we need to know the widows well and know their needs. Now, don't forget, though, this is directed at Timothy first. This is the job of the elders and deacons, historically the deacons, really, in the church in many ways. So it has to come from the top down. But that doesn't mean that you all have nothing to do with this. What a blessing for your families to get to know the widows in the church. I mean, do you know who they are? Do you know their needs already? 
If you did, you can, of course, you can ask us anytime. We're visiting many of them all the time. So you can invite them to family gatherings, pray for them. At the very least, if they're this kind of woman, wouldn't you want your kids around someone like this? Wouldn't you want your kids learning from someone that has poured out her life for her family and her church who loves the Lord? These are the kind of women that I want my kids around. And let me just take a second to address the older people in the church. Wiser. We'll just say wiser. Okay. Wiser in general. I want to push against one kind of common thing. When you hit those golden years, the years where the world tells you to settle down, don't waste those golden years with just traveling everywhere or new hobbies. Not that you can't ever travel or have new hobbies, but look, that's when the church needs you the most in so many ways. The church needs women like this to care not only for their physical family, but then begin to care for the people of God. And that's why the church supports women like this and cares for women, almost supporting their ministry and their care as well. And then Paul has another way. So we serve the widows in our own family. And we honor those widows as well in the church, but then also he encourages young widows to get married. That's the third way of how we kind of live this out. Look at verse 11 with me. Verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows. Why is that, Paul? For when their passions draw them from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Now, the translation here seems a lot more intense than it really is. This is describing a woman who's basically a younger widow that says, you know what, I am giving up on marriage. I'm done. I'm not going to get remarried. I'm going to dedicate myself to the church. I'll join the older widows as kind of this premature retirement. And I'm just going to vow myself to serve the Lord. Paul's saying, look, don't do that yet. Don't do that because what if a godly young man comes by and wants to get married? Then you have to break your vow and commitment to the Lord. Or what if by not getting married, you're burning with passion that causes you to idolize marriage that may lead to other foolish things down the road? Like what? Well, like the next part of the passage, right? Verse 13, Paul says, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Paul's saying, look, this marriage is a great thing for young people. A bad marriage can be a mess in a lot of ways, but a good marriage can be such a blessing in maturity and growth, growth and holiness. And we know men or women, downtime, lack of responsibility is not good in the long run. And if that's what these women are pushing away from, the responsibility of the family and offering to be idle with their time, then they get into all kinds of messes. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Proverbs warns us over and over again about the dangers of idleness and laziness. Proverbs 18.9, the one who is slack in his work is a brother to the one who destroys. Idleness is not good. And so what's Paul's solution for younger widows, younger women? Verse 14, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Younger widows, why don't you do what the older widows have done until you get to a point where we can honor you as an older widow? That's what he's saying here. And I've seen so many wonderful examples of this in the church too. The first one that came to mind, not just in our church, but Elizabeth Elliot. 
you know her. You may not know, you probably know her husband, Jim Elliott, who was martyred in Ecuador, but you may not know she was married three times. So her first husband died as a martyr on the mission field. She got married a number of years later, but that husband died after just a couple years of cancer. She got married for a third time when she was nearly 50, close to being an old widow. So this woman spent most of her life as a widow. And she trusted the Lord. She served the church. In many ways, she was a big blessing to the global church and some of her writings as well. And God blessed her and provided another husband and another husband as well. And she honored the Lord in, in being a widow and in being a woman of Christ as she was married. Young women, this is what it looks like to honor the Lord in the church as a widow or as somebody that's not married and even as someone that's older and can't remarry again. And Paul is saying this is the kind of woman that we want to honor in the church. We want to honor and respect and we want to care for as well. Lord, help us. Help us to show this kind of love and respect for the helpless. First, in our family, the widows and the women in need in our own family, and then, Lord, in the church as well, so that we can put your gospel, your grace, your goodness on display for the world to see. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.